Hey everyone, this week we have one of our interviews with a Spring One platform speaker where you get to not only hear a little bit of what they'll be talking about, a preview if you will, but some about themselves as well. Now we have Spring One platform coming up in my hometown, Austin, Texas, October 7th to 10th. Now if you're listening in the future, this is in 2019. Sorry if you missed it. Uh, Got to write a letter to me. Tell me how 2025 is doing always curious. Anyhow, uh, you should take a take a look and register for it. If you register before August 20th, you'll get a, a nice discount from it. Otherwise, if you just go to springoneplatform.io, you can uh, sign up for it and come see us in Austin. Uh, so with that, enjoy the interview. Today, I'm joined by Madura Bave, one of our Spring team members who will be presenting at Spring One Platform. And we're just going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, Madura, her background, and what she's going to be talking about. So, Madura, if you would start us off by uh, sharing a little bit about yourself, I know that uh, our audience would love to know more. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mark. Um, thank you for having me. And uh, I guess I'll just introduce myself for starters. So, as Mark said, my name is Madura Bhave, and I am a member of the Spring Boot team. And now I'm also working on Spring Initializer, which is uh, the library that powers start.spring.io which is probably uh, the second favorite place on the internet for a lot of you. Um, I think I started working on the Spring team about three years ago at Pivotal. But uh, I've been at Pivotal for six years now. Um, So I joined in 2013. I know it's been a long time. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I just finished six years this July. And before spring, I used to work on Cloud Foundry. So I used to work on UAA, which is the user authentication and authorization component of Cloud Foundry. And which uh, it is one of the, the few spring projects on Cloud Foundry, actually. So after working on Cloud Foundry, I really enjoyed working on spring. And I was like, hey, I would love to work on the spring team, which is why I am now here. Wow. Well, I had no idea personally that you had a such a background in security. That's really cool, actually. Um, so, I mean, that's a great introduction and, and kind of a background. And by the way, uh, congratulations on your six-year anniversary. That's also quite a milestone. Thank um, you. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed working with you my almost four years. Um, so, I'm, I'm trying to catch up, but obviously that will never happen. So, <laughs> Uh, But if you would kind of maybe expand a bit on how you got into tech in the first place, kind of maybe how you got into development or or if you had other roles before you uh, moved into a development role. I know a lot of us have uh, worn a lot of hats over the years. So uh, if you wouldn't mind giving a bit more of your uh, pre-pivotal, pre-spring background. Yeah, sure. So I've always been a developer. I think uh, I actually got into tech. Um, a long time ago. So as a 17-year-old kid back in India, uh, when I finished high school, I kind of had to make the decision of where I want to go next and what career path I want to pursue. So a lot of my family, actually, um, they're doctors. And I was that kid who wanted to do something different. So I was like, hey, I I, I know I don't want to be a doctor for sure, because my family is all doctors. That's not really a valid reason, but I guess that was me at that time. <laughs> that but, works for most of us, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I suppose so. Um, but um, being a kid, and then I was obviously interested in science. Um, otherwise, I guess I wouldn't be here. 
The second option, which is pretty popular in India, if you get decent enough grades and you're interested in science, is engineering or, or computer science. So I know I wanted to do something different, but I guess I ended up um, not going too far, not diverging too far away from what a lot of people might consider a common path for someone um, who pursues a career in something related to science. So, which is why I chose computer science. And now here I am. I'm actually gl very glad I chose it because I love being here. Just the idea of getting a job straight out of college and being independent and up on my feet was very appealing to me at the time. And that's actually exactly what happened. And I think I've been very lucky in my career to find what I really love to do. And I'm really happy to be on the spring team now. I'm pretty confident I can speak for everyone to, in saying that we're really happy you're a part of the, the family. So <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Uh, well, I mean, something you said actually kind of leads very naturally into the next thing I was going to ask, which is what do you love about this career field, about your position, about, uh, I mean, whatever you want to talk about, but what, what are the things that you like best? Uh, so, yeah, like I said, uh, just a few minutes before, I, I think I've been uh, very lucky in the teams that I've been on and in the projects that I've worked on. The thing that I like most about well, tech in general, though, is that it's constantly evolving, you know, so there's always something new that's happening. And I like being pushed out of my comfort zone. I like learning new things all the time. And whenever I feel like, oh, hey, I think I'm getting good at this, there's always something new out there, which I need to now learn. And then I think, I think that's what I enjoy quite a bit, being in tech. Kind of keeps you on your toes. Keeps it you, does uh, keep you on your toes. And yeah. <laughs> I, I find it, I guess, good to be challenged, but I know there are a lot of folks who don't necessarily appreciate that on a day-to-day -day basis. But our industry is um, such that uh, with, with frequent changes and the never-ending stream of changes, you really have to, um, you have to enjoy that kind of thing. So if I could maybe ask, how do you stay on top of it all? I mean, that's a lot of volume of change kind of coming nonstop, always. What are, what are your suggestions, advice? Yeah, I think um, especially now uh, in the past few years, or maybe it's always been like that, but I think since I've been around in the industry, there's been a lot of change in the way uh, applications are being built. So you started with monolithic applications, which I guess ran in servlet containers somewhere, uh, which you deployed as a war file. And then with the move to cloud and self-contained applications, that moved to you creating, I'm talking all about Java, so you creating uh, runnable jar files and then pushing those directly to the cloud. And then it moved from that to something more where you package your application as, an Im as a Docker image and then push that. And then there's functions and serverless. So there's all sorts of things, as you're aware, Mark. Um, so for me, I think um, it's, there's always the aspect of trying to figure out what is just a hype versus what's really going to stick around and what really makes sense for uh, the particular use case that you are trying to solve. There can be a lot of this hype created around new trends where people just jump on the bandwagon and, you know, 
think that the, say that this is the next big thing, whereas that might not not necessarily be true. So I think for me, it's trying to filter out the noise and trying to figure out, okay, hey, this is what makes sense. So this is what we should focus on. And I think it's a, in the open source world, it's more about like reading what there's so much content available out there on the internet that it's more just about reading and researching, I guess. Yeah, which I guess if, if you don't mind me taking a completely self-indulgent question out here and, and asking you is how do you how do you cut the noise? Because there there really are so many things, even that are really interesting and that may turn into evolving trends. How do you filter out the things that you feel like I mean, maybe it's just a matter of, you know, you you kind of feel like you see kind of where the industry's going, or maybe it's more directly relevant. But I find it sometimes kind of difficult with the a cacophony of, of voices that you hear coming out and, and people espousing the, the latest thing. And, and sometimes things that look like they're going to be pretty big trends kind of fizzle very quickly. Um, yeah. How is there anything that you use kind of as a rule of thumb or is it just a matter of kind of following things far enough to, to kind of see how they, you know, whether they start to go up or down and then. I think uh, for me, one of the first things that I, the one rule of thumb that I follow is that if I see something on Twitter, I don't always immediately believe it. Or I don't always, <laughs> right. You know, I'm, I'm not like, oh, okay, so, so, and so no matter like how, how many followers they have or whatever, I, I don't always believe it if it's just the one person or a few people saying that. I need to go and uh, read about it a little bit more myself. Or, right. you know, watch YouTube. I think YouTube videos, uh, there's so many out there now. They play a pretty big role in how I learn new things because I just find consuming video content easier for me maybe I have like a low attention span or something but I find uh, it I find YouTube videos a faster way for me to learn about something than maybe reading articles or something like that so I try to I try to see what everybody is talking about out there and then uh, I go and look up YouTube videos and I guess at some point I just have to decide for myself. Well, that's actually a, a kind of validating for me as well, because I, I kind of fall into the same category you're talking about. Whereas I think the YouTube videos, and obviously they're not all conference videos, but I think there is something to be said for this uh, constraint that we have, like with conference videos or with just generally accepted formats, maybe where we have a 30 to 60 minute tops exposition to a, a topic. Of course, you can't exhaustively cover anything that way, but it certainly forces you to kind of focus uh, to where you can learn an awful lot by, you know, maybe sitting down for 20, 30 minutes with a video, 50 or 60 minutes with a video, and maybe kind of um, capturing a, a, you know, at least a, a pretty good coverage of a particular topic. So I, I find myself learning the same way. I just, uh, I'm, I'm always looking for hacks and, and obviously, uh, you do excellent work, and I, I any chance I get to pick your brain on that, I'm going to take. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, kind of along that same vein, you know, with in terms of conference videos and and whatnot. Uh, last year at Spring One Platform, uh, you presented about mastering Spring Boot's actuator, which is a very important topic. You know, we're talking in terms of monitoring metrics and and what have you. Uh, So how, if I could ask you a little bit of a different take on that, Mm -hmm. uh, how has your thinking on that particular topic or related topics changed over the past year? Um, Well, I think it's a topic that 
it doesn't really change that often. So the reason why we did that talk last year was because Spring Boot 2.0 uh, released in, I think, March of 2018. Um, so Spring 1 platform was one of the big Spring conferences after Spring Boot 2.0 was released. And a lot of the actuator infrastructure and the way you would write your own actuator endpoints was uh, overhauled as part of the Spring Boot 2.0 release that went out. So everything that people knew about Spring Boot actually, well, I wouldn't say everything, but a lot of things that were hard to do in Spring Boot 1.5 with actuators and actuator endpoints, which we thought could be improved. We did that. We took that opportunity in 2.0 and we redid a lot of the actuator infrastructure, which is why a dedicated talk for just the Spring Boot actuators made sense because there was actually so much to talk about. It took up a whole hour. Um, the other thing that I really uh, am and even was excited about at that time was the actuator integration with Pivotal Cloud Foundry. So this has been around since Spring Boot 1.5, but with Spring Boot 2, it also supports WebFlux applications and Jersey applications along with Spring MVC applications. And I think um, I spent quite a bit of time integrating Pivotal Cloud Foundry's UAA uh, authentication to work with Spring Boot's actuator endpoints. So once you were logged into Apps Manager, which is the UI for your apps on Pivotal Cloud Foundry, you wouldn't need to have any separate authentication or authorization for accessing your actuator endpoints. So that's something that was and still is very special to me, that integration, um, which is why I think we decided to include that in our talk last year. So I wouldn't say anything's changed. It's uh, We have seen, what's interesting is once we rewrote the actuator infrastructure, writing custom endpoints became much easier than it was in Spring Boot 1.5. So a lot of the new actuator endpoints that you see out of the box with Spring Boot, um, they're actually contributions from the community, which has been, which is kind of great because a lot of folks out there who use Spring Boot uh, applications in production, they actually know what information they need in production from their applications, probably more than we do. So they have some really good suggestions about what endpoints we can add out of the box. Yeah, that is uh, that, that's great actually because I love the whole community involvement story. I'm 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 constantly seeing and saying how much the Spring ecosystem is driven by the community. So that's that's really amazing to to hear how much more is being contributed into Spring uh, by the consumers of Spring, if you will, by developers who are using various Spring components on a daily basis. I find personally actuator is such a broad topic that I, I feel like the more I learn, the less ground I cover, <laughs> which, uh, which is a good thing, right? I mean, the, the capabilities are continually expanding and unfolding. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Along the same lines, you know, that was last year, but this year I see that you're down to speak about how to get productive with Spring Boot, which is also another topic that I don't think anyone could get enough of, quite frankly. Uh, but I, I guess just if I could peek inside your head just a, a, again one more time, how did you arrive at that topic? How did, you, um, how did you decide that that was something that you wanted to talk about? And obviously we all need it, but how, uh, how, did, you, how did you get from idea to, uh, to submission? 
I think uh, just talking uh, with a lot of folks from the community and seeing how they use Spring Boot probably over the years led to this idea. Uh, maybe some it had something to do with the fact that I did the actuator talk last year with Andy. The actuators have some useful endpoints for debugging your application and getting useful diagnostic information about your application, which can lead to productivity in one way, right? Because it gives you like ease of access to the information that you would otherwise need to maybe hunt for and spend more time and I guess be less productive. So I thought of expanding that idea into, okay, so Spring Boot already gives you a lot of things out of the box and it makes you productive right from the get-go, I guess, because it takes an opinionated view and it cuts off uh, most of the boilerplate that you would need with a Spring application. But how do you use Spring Boot in sort of an idiomatic way so that it makes you even more productive? How do you, once you've written your application, how do you debug it and how do you grow it and maintain it? Uh, There's things such as ID support for configuration properties. There's slice tests for writing faster tests and helpful debugging tools. I think they all of these together, um, there's like little bits here and there that Spring Boot provides out of the box and all of them together contribute towards this increased and enhanced productivity experience for developers, which I think like being a developer, I think that's, uh, something that most developers like to be productive. So, yeah, I think that's, I think it'll be interesting. Oh, I'm, I'm sure of that, actually. One <laughs> of the things that I always feel like we don't really talk enough about, and this is me personally, so, you know, 100% on target, 100% out of line, but I, I've always felt that that productivity is the biggest thing. Developer productivity, developer velocity is the biggest thing that Spring Boot brings to the table, uh, among several other benefits, but I really think that, uh, you know, out of all the different things you could employ to get the job done, that Spring Boot really kind of gives developers superpowers. And then to take that a step further or several steps further with a talk like this on how to get productive with Spring Boot, how to really be productive by the folks who are creating and extending Spring Boot's capabilities on a daily basis is something that I personally am super, super pumped about. <laughs> so, and and darn it, I had another question in my mind, and you you kind of already covered it. Uh, so, oh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, darn it. Uh, you know, I I, I should have hidden that better, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I I guess you know that that covers the the essential parts uh, of who you are, what you're going to be talking about, what you have talked about, where you're excited about the the topics in general, which I think uh, is is something that again I I speak for the community, and this I think we're all really excited to to come hear your talk. But if I could kind of scope out a little bit at this point and just ask, what's your favorite thing about Spring One platform in general? Um, no pressure. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I, I really like going to Spring One platform. I think I've been going there for, since I've been on the Spring team. I think I even went the year before I actually joined the Spring team because uh, I was working on Cloud Foundry. And since it's Spring One platform now with a lot of the Cloud Foundry talks and things like that, it made sense. So I think what I really like is the fact that it's the one time in the year that the entire string team is in one place at the same time. And it's really 
nice meeting everybody from the team and everybody from the community who's out there to learn about string um i think it's a really great place where everybody can meet and just talk about all things spring learn about spring and it's not just a one way street right where uh, people from the community can ask us questions it's also that we get to hear so much from folks from the community that there's actually a lot of issues that we worked on that stemmed from some somebody's suggestion or idea that we heard at spring one platform so just those interactions and meetings make it quite special along those lines wasn't spring boot something that actually came out of discussions at at a particular spring one 2gx back in the day or am i remembering that wrong no i think you're right i think the issue um i don't know the issue number but it has the 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 reference from spring one platform and how it led to spring boot so it's actually an issue in spring framework i guess but it did lead to spring boot yeah nice it i mean it's it's a very dynamic um cooperative right absolutely well, and, and again, I think you, you kind of covered my last question or the one, of the, one of the questions I wanted to kind of wrap up with, uh, but I'll, I'll just to see if you have anything more to add, uh, why would someone consider coming to Spring One Platform? Why should they attend? And you've already talked about the chance to uh, get access with, uh, to the Spring team and maybe uh, run into some folks that might be kind of difficult to cross paths with on a daily basis if you're located in uh, Miami or Boston or, or Detroit or wherever. But uh, anything more you want to add before we kind of wrap up here? No, you said it. It's spot on. I mean, just getting to meet people that work on the Spring Team. Um, if you have anything you'd like to share with the Spring Team, it's a great um, medium to do that. And the the talks are pretty relevant to what what's the latest and greatest going on in Spring and in the Cloud Foundry world. So I think overall, it's a, it's a great conference to attend. Wonderful. Well, on, in closing then, if I could just ask, what would be the best way to reach out to you? You have a Twitter account, right? I know you do because I follow you, but uh, uh, where can people follow you and keep up with uh, what your latest uh, thoughts are and, and announcements are? Um, so yeah, I think Twitter's the best place. I am um, on Twitter. It's my, it's Madhura Bhave 23 is my get is my Twitter handle and I am on GitHub as well. So if anybody has any bug reports or enhancements requests for Spring Boot, GitHub is the place to, I guess, raise an issue. The one thing I did want to mention since we are talking about Spring One platform is I would really like to meet the women who use Spring and who are attending Spring One platform. So if someone's out there who wants to meet me, I, I would really love to. So feel free to reach out to me on Twitter and we can definitely catch up at the conference. Absolutely. That sounds great. Well, thank you very much for your time. I don't want to keep you away from the code too long, but I really appreciate you pausing and, and just chatting with us today and see you and everyone else at Spring One platform in Austin, Texas. Thanks, Mark. Thank you very much, Madura. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I sure did. Hey, and as a bonus for listening this far, if you want to register for Spring One Platform, the uh, wonderful conference we have coming up October 7th to 10th in my hometown, Austin, Texas, when you go to springoneplatform.io to register, you can use the code S1P200 underscore M Heckler. That's M-H-E-C-K-L-E-R. 
That's Mark's last name. You can find uh, the discount code uh, if you go to pivotal.io slash podcast as well. And that'll get you $200 off the registration uh, fee, price, winning admission, however you want to think about it. Well, uh, we've got several of these coming out. So if you enjoyed this one, you should check out the other ones. And uh, otherwise, tune into the regular Pivotal Conversations each week or so. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.